You want your business to succeed. Technology can get you there. Let's throw open the IT closet door and explore how technology is impacting your goals. Join us on Business Plus Tech Equals Success with your host, CEO of Sabino Comtech and industry unicorn, Nancy Sabino. Hello there, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Business Plus Tech Equals Success podcast. I am your host, uh, CEO and co-founder of Sabino Comtech, Nancy Sabino here. And today I have a special treat for all you people out there who are crazy about HIPAA because who loves HIPAA compliance, right? Well, my guest actually does. So Sarah Badman, if you can introduce yourself and let us know who you are, what you do, and why the heck do you love HIPAA compliance when everybody else hates it so much? <laughs> All right. No, thank you so much, Nancy, for, for having me today. So um, I'm the CEO and co-founder of HIPAAtrack, which is an a cloud-based platform that helps administrate compliance. Uh, so our clients are healthcare organizations across the country. Um, so the other question was, why do I love HIPAA so much? I think that most people who get into compliance have this strong sense of justice and wanting things to be done the right way. And I think that that embodies my personality as well. So I've always been drawn to having things be fair, having things being done the proper way, and that's why compliance. And then why HIPAA is, I've always loved healthcare, but I hate blood. So the only way for me to work in healthcare was to go into healthcare administration. And that's actually how I started. So I've had a variety of different administration jobs in healthcare my entire career. It's all I've ever done is healthcare. So I was a healthcare administrator, practice manager, epidemiologist, back to a healthcare administrator before founding uh, HIPAAtrack. So not only do I love HIPAA, but I also understand what the practice managers and the hospital administrators are going through as they're trying to implement compliance. I also understand they probably don't love HIPAA as much as I do, which is why it makes it such a good relationship because I've always believed in the three A's of compliance. Your compliance program needs to be affordable. So because compliance is not a revenue generating um, like function of your practice or hospital. So anything that you do to implement your compliance program needs to be affordable. Then the second A is approachable everything needs to be approachable, right? So compliance can be very overwhelming, right? So either HIPAA, OSHA, your deeming agency, like the Joint Commission, if you're trying to manage all your clinical compliance, it all becomes very complicated and overwhelming, but it doesn't have to be. You can break it down into simple to understand projects and make your compliance super approachable. And then the last day is accountable, which is the biggest day, right? So, because remember we're justice seekers, and so if you hold everybody accountable and create this culture within your practice or your hospital that everybody is accountable 
to ensure that you're meeting your compliance objectives and doing it within the culture you've created, then compliance can actually be a fun task for everybody to do if you remember that it's everyone's responsibility. That is, so you brought up a lot of good points. So I want to start off with actually breaking down some of what you've said here. Um, well, first off, I, I think that it's incredibly important the fact that you have been in the shoes of the people that have to deal with compliance. Um, it's very similar for me where I, um, my background is more in business and not necessarily in IT, but then I had to learn IT because of my business. And so kind of bridging that gap for, for me was what allows me to help my clients even more. Um, so I, I think that that's something that is incredibly important and why your company would be so successful because you actually know what they need and the ways that you can make it easier for people and simplify that for them. Um, and then when it comes to what you've said about those three A's, I think most people would associate HIPAA and think like A is a, I'm not even going to say the word, but it starts <laughs> with an A. I'll write what that A is. <laughs> um, but it's, it's so true how those three A's are going to be what makes the difference with HIPAA and incorporating that into your culture and, and things like that. So that's, that's awesome. Um, and so one of the things that you had said was um, that doing all of this led you to starting uh, founding your company. What, happened within your experience that it led you to, you know what, I need to start a uh, platform that will help people with this. What did you see that somebody else didn't? Well, okay. So at that time I worked for a medium sized practice. Um, we were a specialty clinic, so we did nephrology and infectious disease. Um, and the managing physician uh, told me because I was the administrator, I was also the HIPAA compliance officer. And so I started doing things. So, so we had nothing. We had no policies. We had never done a security risk analysis. We didn't have a HIPAA training program. I mean, we literally had nothing. And so I was having to start from scratch. And so the first thing I start to do is, you know, where do we all go? Google. <laughs> I went to Google and I started trying to find something and I, and EMRs were just starting to get big. And so I thought, surely there has to be like a software platform out there that's going to help me manage my HIPAA compliance. And I think I was a little bit um, better off than I think um, some folks are because I, I had a master's degree or have a master's degree in public health. And part of that uh, education was we took a class on HIPAA. And so I had at least a, an understanding of what that, that program is or what HIPAA was. And so I knew what was required. And everything I started to look at uh, as far as a software program to help me administrate my compliance was no more than what I could get from Dropbox. So I can purchase policy templates from anywhere. I can get them from free from a lot of places like HIPAA Cal is a great um, website where you can go and get any policy template for for HIPAA or OSHA for free you just download it 
Um, and so, but when I was looking, but it's, it doesn't really help me solve the problem of how do I create a program? It solved the problem of now I have policies, but when I have a policy, it has to be more than just in a binder gathering dust. I have to actually do what I say I'm going to do. So all the programs I looked at were Dropbox. I could download a policy, make a change to it, upload it. I can get that from Dropbox. Mm-hmm. They had generic HIPAA training that I could get for free off of YouTube. I mean, <laughs> it loved that the training was done, but I mean, so does Excel. I could create an Excel sheet and manage everything from there. And then they had like these generic business associate processes, but I already had a business associate agreement and I had DocuSign. So there was no need for these softwares. And everyone that I looked at time and time again, they were lacking in features and what I actually needed to run a HIPAA program that was truly meeting what the compliance regulation requires me to do, or it had everything that was needed, but it was the user experience was so clunky and difficult, which was the exact problem I was having with implementing the EMR in my in my clinic was no HIPAA or no healthcare software was designed by anybody who was sitting where I was sitting right then. Nobody understood what our workflows are because the healthcare industry, we have unique workflows that if you come outside of healthcare, it is very difficult to understand what it is that we are, like our workflows and the purpose because everything is patient-centric. And if it's not patient-centric, it is a task that we can come to later. It's not of importance to us. Right. So I I set out to design a software that was designed by one of our own. Right. So I can do this. You know, I so I, I created the software. Right. I was like one day I went to my managing partner or managing position. And I was like, you know, I have this crazy idea. I'm going to start um, the software company. And he supported me like not only did he. um like let me out of my my position. He also sat on my board for the first three years of Hippotrack. He invested and he was the first client that Hippotrack had. So wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it was amazing, right? Because he also saw the need and saw the importance of of what we were trying to do. So that was it. You know, I really thought that we deserve better. And the healthcare industry does not deserve software that we have to modify our workflows in order to use. The software should already come friendly to us. If you are marketing and selling software to the healthcare industry, it needs to be for the healthcare industry. Not, oh, we used to, we also work in finance and we see this great market opportunity because you can see all the millions or billions of dollars that you can make in healthcare and then go after it. No, you have to truly have something that is designed to work within our existing workflows and help us to solve a real problem, not a problem you're making up and you have to try to (laughs) make us see that there's a problem here, right? I hated that. And every time I I talk to somebody, yeah, and every time I would talk to somebody trying to get them to like, you know, see the software and everything, they're always blown away because I never try to sell. We take a very consultative approach to how we how we gain our clients, right? It's 
oh, you have this problem, let me help you. No, we're not consultants, so we're not going to charge you for the consulting fee. We're just going to help you through this problem. And then if you want to use our software, great. You know, <laughs> if not, hey, I've made a new friend. <laughs> like, I love that. Better. Yeah, yeah I, I absolutely love that. And I feel like that's the best route to go about it because if it doesn't fit into how they work, then you're not helping, essentially speaking. But I'm pretty sure that the administrator that replaced you at that at your first um, place is really happy with you. <laughs> <laughs> you made her job or his job much easier. <laughs> yeah, they still use Hippotrex, so... <laughs> That's awesome. That is incredible. Um, so I, I'm sitting here listening to your story, and I think that it's absolutely incredible the way that you've gone about it. I think that it's the fact that your expertise with the being an administrator and knowing exactly what needed to go into your product makes all the difference, right? And also the things that you've learned in school and, and things like that would put you in a position in like the perfect position for you to actually like know exactly what the law says and what administrators may sometimes not know or may skip on or um, anything like that. So I know when we run into uh, new clients or uh, prospects and we're like, okay, you have to be HIPAA compliant. And they're like, we do? And we're like, yes, first off, yes. Um, and or they um, know that they have to be HIPAA compliant and they're checking things off of their list, but nothing is actually done. So right. things that you were mentioning, like the templates um, that you can download from anywhere, sure, they have those. But when we did a comparison for them in the sense of, what is, because we're, we're IT people, we would ask the questions of what is your backup process that is required by HIPAA? And they would say, well, this is the process. And then we would look at their documentation and be like, well, that's not what your documentation says. Um, so bridging those gaps are, is something that I feel like you would be perfect at because you have both sides of what's needed to know that. Right, and I think so too. I mean, when you mentioned the data backup, like that's probably something that we struggle with the most with our ambulatory, uh, so with our clinics. Um, so I was doing a security risk analysis just a few months ago for one of our clients and went into the basement of this clinic and on top of their domain server, you will never guess what I found. Ooh. I found I wish I wish I had found a password written on the server that would have been easy to fix I found their external hard drive that they use for their backups plugged in to their domain server and I asked I said um do you always leave that sir that hard drive plugged in and they're like no we switch it out every Friday I was like Okay, so what you're telling me is you're willing to lose a week's worth of data because you, and they're like, no, we back up every night. Okay, awesome. But you're still telling me you're willing to lose a week's worth of data because if you leave that in plugged in all the time and you have a security event, somebody's going to get into that, your backups that are plugged in at all times to your domain server are not protected. 
Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, there's a password. <laughs> so like, there's this problem too, right? Because like, it's not just understanding what the regulation says, right? It's easy to understand that you have to have a data backup process. And this clinic honestly thought they had a data backup process and they truly believe that it worked, right? It's also understanding the spirit behind what is being, uh, what the regulation is, right? So when we examine data backups, it's not just you have to back up your data because essentially you can back up your data once a year and you can call that a data backup plan. Mm-hmm. It's you have to be able to protect the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of your data at all times in order to meet the security rule requirements. That is essentially what it's telling you you have to do. And so you cannot do that if you are not taking advantage of all of the progress we've made insecurity over the past decade, which means cloud-based data backups. Why not? Mm-hmm, exactly. It's it's inexpensive and it helps to protect everything that you have. If you're going to insist on doing things through um, an external hard drive, then ensure that you've encrypted that external hard drive. Ensure that you're not leaving it plugged in if you're doing nightly backups, which I guess is fine, you're saying you're you can lose a day's worth of work, and some clinics probably can, you know, then plug it in every night and then do the backup that way, and then unplug it. Don't leave it plugged in at all times. Like don't don't be lazy. It takes five seconds, maybe thirty seconds, to walk to your wherever your <laughs> server is if you have an, a physical server, plug it in and back it up that way. And evaluate everything that you're backing up, like because there's incremental backups, there are full disk backups, there's you know uh, so like, mirror backups, merit backups. Like, what are you backing up and why? And mm-hmm. how? And then just having a data backup plan is not enough. You also have to know how you're going to recover that data if you have an incident, and so you have to have a um, disaster recovery plan. And part of that is you should have an incident response team that includes your IT folks, your compliance folks, your legal folks, your operation folks, your clinical folks, right? How are you going to respond if you do have an incident? Because part of that disaster recovery plan is your RPO and RTO, your recovery time objective and your recovery point objective, and what your workarounds are while you're in those processes. Like there's so much to consider. And where we really see folks struggling is on the smaller side, smaller healthcare entities. So independent providers, small hospitals, they, they you have your other ambulatory centers like surgical centers, your long-term care facilities, SNFs. Um, they, so anybody outside of a health system, really, they mm-hmm. truly struggle with all of this and understanding what it means. And when they hire IT folks inside, it's very difficult for the IT people to be able to self audit because if they're responsible for being your HIPAA security officer and they're responsible for implementing it, that becomes a challenge in and of itself because they are essentially self auditing themselves, which there's nothing wrong with that, but you could end up in a lot of pain if you have, uh, if they're trying to do things really inexpensively, which again, I don't blame you, I, healthcare does not have these great margins that everybody thinks that healthcare has. There are very slim margins, you know, so I don't blame you for trying to do things inexpensively, but you need to make sure you have the right experts in the right place and that, you know, you find one that you can afford. Because if you get 
if you have a breach or you have a cyber incident and you get investigated by the OCR, those fines are going to be way more than what you would have paid trying to just do things the right way from the beginning. Because when people think oh, that yeah. too small, they are not too small. They are not oh, too no. small. Um, no. And yeah, they will be fined a lot too, like hundreds of thousands of dollars if they're not doing what they need to do. And it's, so it's much cheaper and much less embarrassing and a lot easier to take a proactive approach. And so one of the things we always tell our small clinics in small hospitals, especially if we're talking to a provider or a nurse that's responsible for compliance, is let's talk about compliance in a way that you understand it. Let's talk about diabetes compliance, <laughs> right? And they understand, right? So if your patient came to you and told you that they can't afford the glucometer and the test strips for the glucometer, what are you going to tell her? or him? What are you going to tell that patient? Are you going to say, okay, well, you don't have to do it because you can't afford it? No, you're going to help them figure out a way to afford it. If they tell you that they're not going to do it because they don't see the need for it, are you going to accept that answer? No, you're going to educate that patient on exactly why they need to be taking their diabetes seriously. So if you really translate it and you break it down in that way, they start to understand okay, HIPAA is not just here to make my life miserable. It's really helping me to be able to support my patients. Because if you lost access to your data, would you be able to still practice medicine? Exactly. Oh, exactly. And that's um, one of the things that we continuously ask, um, bringing this back to the backup um, concept is um, the availability part of it, right? So, I, the question that I always ask is, okay, so you have the backup plugged in, you have all these things in place, great. How often do you check that data? And that always sparks the look of like, what do you mean? How often do we check the data? And it was like, well, one of your responsibilities is data availability. Um, so you have to make sure that even if that, yes, the, back, the data is backed up, but is it corrupt? Um, and, you know, you have a client or a patient that comes back a year later and says, I'm looking for this chart and you need to go look for it within your data backup. Is it, are you going to be able to access it? So well, it's also a requirement of HIPAA, right? So you are mm-hmm. under the contingency plan, which is where the data backup um, standard is. You also have to test and revise. You have to test your contingency plan, you have to test your data backups, you have to test your disaster recovery plan, you have to test it. And if it doesn't work, you have to revise it to make sure that it works. Because it's, like you said, the availability of the records is really important, but it's also that integrity of the record. And if you're not able to protect the backup, which is also why encryption of your backups is so important, then somebody can change that record. And then you have a record that's not really a record, or if it's mm. corrupted in some way, right? So it's not just availability, it's also that integrity piece. Absolutely. And that's, um, you know, that goes back to what you were talking about it in the sense of the compliance aspect of it. You know, if um, you're not doing all of these little things that you 
have to do in order to make things work and or to abide by the law, then it, it's going to come crumbling down. Uh, you know, you miss one step and that could be what the OCR decides to pinpoint and say that that's a problem right there. And how are you going to solve it? Um, right. And sure. one of the big initiatives from the OCR right now is this right of access. Right. So there have been 13 clinics so far that have been part of this right of access. And there have been small clinics. So a one physician, one employee practice that was fined $100,000 under this right of access initiative. Wow. So it's it's serious, right? So like that's another reason why HIPAA should be taken very seriously because the OCR is not going to take pity on you just because you think you're too small for HIPAA. This one physician, one employee practice also thought they were too small. They also thought they were doing everything that they possibly could. And the OCR said, nope, no, you're not. Here's a $100,000 settlement now because of what you've done. So it's, yeah, it gets really messy really fast. And so another thing that the OCR really focuses on is this security risk assessment or analysis. If you look at every single corrective action plan, more times than not, there are two things that are always found deficient. Your policies and procedures are not sufficient and you've not conducted a proper security risk analysis. So how you mentioned the checkboxes, how folks take this checkbox approach to compliance. Mm -hmm. If you take this checkbox approach to compliance, that's what's going to happen is you're going to have these deficiencies because there's no checklist. Compliance is not a destination, it is a journey. You have to constantly be on it. You have to constantly take steps on it. You have to constantly be revising it in order to, to make sure that you're hitting everything that you need to. That is one of the biggest things that I hope that your listeners can take away from this. It is not a destination. You can never say you are HIPAA compliant. You can never say you are OSHA compliant. You can never say you are compliant. You are practicing compliance just like you are practicing medicine. So... I think that if you correlate the two that way, folks can really start to understand how important the, how important this is. You have to constantly be doing it. You know, like you can achieve compliance milestones, but you will always be working on your compliance. I love that because it is it's not just a set it and forget it one time and it's done, which I know a lot of people may want to do, um, it's, I think, human nature to, to want something to be like, oh, I did it once, I'm good, I checked it off, and I can move it along. And it's like, no, 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 no. It, it continues. It's every, there's all of these things that have to be done continuously. And then there are some things that have to be done once a year, and so on and so forth. So I think that that's having that mindset shift is something that would be really helpful for a lot of people. Right. I think so, too. I mean, but it's having that mindset where they're looking for these checkboxes and they're looking for everything to be automated and off my plate where I don't even have to worry about HIPAA compliance. It drives them to buy a lot of snake oil products, right? Like yeah. a lot of snake oil is out there that's being sold, right? So there is no place in the HIPAA regulations where it requires you to have annual HIPAA training. It does not exist. HIPAA requires you to train your employees on your policies and procedures prior to giving them access 
to PHI. So that means when you first hire somebody, train them on your policies and procedures. Then you're required to send out periodic security reminders. And then these security reminders can be memos, they can be video trainings, they can be, you know, talking about things in, you know, committee meetings or employee meetings, however you want to do those security reminders, as long as you document them, that's what's required. There is no requirement for annual HIPAA training. I hate that that's what people think that is out there. It is does not exist in the regulation. So don't buy it. You do not need to sit and train your employees on the same training that is boring for them because then they're going to hate it and they're not going to see what how that fits into their role. And if you sit there and you train them on the same thing every year because you're taking this checkbox approach, you're not doing yourself any favors. In fact, you're harming yourself. You're harming your productivity levels and you're making your employees hate HIPAA or see HIPAA as this one time a year, one hour long boring thing. And then they forget about it. They don't know everything else that they're supposed to be doing. It has to be an ongoing process, which is why HIPAA set it up the way that it was set up with these ongoing security reminders. There's also no requirement that says you have to do a security risk analysis every year. That is not a requirement. Now then, with that first came out with meaningful use and then it carried through with MIPS, right, where meaningful use and MIPS require you to conduct or review a security risk analysis as referred to in HIPAA. But it's that or review piece that people really need to be paying attention to. If you are a small clinic or a small hospital and you haven't had any major technology changes, you can probably get by with conducting, you know, vulnerability scans once a quarter and comparing those to your risk analysis and making sure and get working through your corrective action plan. Because if you do a proper security risk analysis, there's going to be a plethora of things that you're going to have to do and you're not going to get through with them in one year. So you need to make sure that you're fixing everything that you need to off of that first security risk analysis and corrective action plan before you go and conduct another one. And if you're afraid of not meeting meaningful use, which ends this year, or MIPS, don't be, because it, again, is conduct or review. That's a, a good reminder. Yes. That's a good reminder to people, um, because that that's what we hear all the time, too, is um, what well, we have to do the security risk assessment all the time, um, every year. And for, for us, it's a, the only reason why we would be redoing it is because you've had significant change within your environment. Beyond that, we're going to be reviewing it and comparing it compared to the original because we are making changes along the way. Uh, we are adjusting things along the way. And then beyond that, it's a matter of what we call realigning. So if there are changes, we have to realign you back to what the compliance state should be. Um, and then we're going to just review that on an ongoing basis. But to I, redo the, the whole thing that, yeah, it's like, it's if you don't need it, you don't need it. <laughs> one, security risk analyses are very expensive, right? So a security risk analysis, depending upon your size, is going to cost you anywhere between $10,000 and $150,000, depending upon how large you are right, and how much you want done. And HIPAA knows this. Like the OCR knew that a security risk analysis was not an easy undertaking, which is why they built in three additional um, requirements in the security rule to help protect you so you don't have to do that. The first of which is an information system activity review. You're required to periodically 
do this information system activity review. It is so easy and your IT department can handle it for you and give you the reports, right? How many failed logins did I have? How many attempts did I have to penetrate my, my network? All of those are things that most IT departments have automated. Or if they're using an MSP like, like you guys, Nancy, like that is all automated through the MSP. Get that report once a month, once a quarter, boom, you've done that. It's easy, it's done. The second thing that's built in is you have to have a risk management plan because HIPAA knows that when you do your information system activity review, when you do your security risk analysis, vulnerabilities and threats are, are identified. And so you create this risk management plan that again is this ongoing process and you're working through all of those risks and you have that solid, solidly in place and you have a good process for evaluating, prioritizing and working through those and you're good. And then the, the third thing that HIPAA built in to protect you from having to do a security risk analysis every year is the evaluation process. So you're required or standard, you're required to conduct a periodic technical and non-technical evaluation, right? And you can actually combine all, this is where it gets really beautiful. If you really look at HIPAA as a project versus compliance, what you see is when I'm looking at the evaluation, the technical um, evaluations can be combined with that information system activity review. I can, part of my information system activity review process, I can say I'm going to conduct quarterly vulnerability scans, right? Boom, I've just done a technical evaluation. Part of my information system activity review, I can say I'm going to review and look at my, you know, anti-exploitware. Uh, boom, I've just done a technical evaluation. And on the non-technical evaluations, we should be looking at our policies periodically anyway. That's a non-technical evaluation. So if you really break this down, it is very simple and it does not have to be these complicated things. But the reason why these snake oil salesmen, and that's what I'm going to call them, <laughs> exist is because of the money that they can make by saying HIPAA requires you to train every year. And then you're paying like $2,000 to somebody to come and train you once a year. And they're doing that across, you know, hundred organizations, they're getting rich off of snake oil. Then if you look at the security risk analysis, that has a much higher price point, you know, and I, I know for some small clinics, I know some MSPs that will do it for like $5,000 or so do a security risk analysis, but it's not, it won't meet the requirement of what uh, the OCR is, is telling you needs to be done. And it, so you have to look in, so a real security risk analysis is $10,000 at least for a small clinic. That is yep. a minimum amount you're going to pay. And you don't have to do it every year. You do not have to try to find $10,000 and a month of your time to do a security risk analysis every year. I'm glad that you said that because when it comes to the MSP world, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and I might get some crap for it um in return but you know i'm i'm here to be honest um and so what the msps usually provide is not the full security risk analysis it is usually just focused on the technical aspect um so that does not include the um administrative side of the uh, security risk analysis and i know that because that's exactly what we do and we include that with our service um, for our clients, it, but it is just the technical side of things. And that's what we specifically tell our clients. 
you're going to need the other aspects to this because the only thing that we're going to touch is the technical aspects. So I'm, I'm glad that you are clarifying that. And I know that we are close to time here and I want to respect your time. Um, so I, I didn't even get to the question that I wanted to ask you <laughs> specifically, which was about HIPAA and COVID. So I think if anything, uh, maybe we should schedule a second Another. call and we can do HIPAA episode two, because there was so much here to share. Um, Sarah, thank you so much um, for joining me today and for giving us so much good, juicy info and, um, and for being so honest about all of this. I love that. Um, and yeah, so <laughs> tell us how, how to reach you. Um, yeah, so um, I can be found on LinkedIn, uh, Sarah Badaman. Uh, I'm the only Sarah Badaman, so that makes it really easy. Um, uh, my email address is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at hippotrek, H-I-P-A-A-T-R-E-K.com. And, or you can give me a call. My office number is 314-272-2600. Perfect. Easy enough. And I will also include all that info in the show notes so that everyone can have that in an easy way. Other than that, thank you so much. And uh, folks out there, stay away from snake oil salesmen. <laughs> thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you for spending this time with me and my guest. I hope you were able to get some juicy, helpful tips or some nuggets that got you thinking. If you want to connect in between episodes, visit my website, nancysabino.com. Follow me at Nancy Sabino SET on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and of course, Nancy Sabino on LinkedIn. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. See you next time.